Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. My name is Sylvie and I will be your conference operator today. Bonjour, je m'appelle Sylvie et je serai votre téléphoniste pour la conférence d'aujourd'hui. I will now introduce Mr. Mathieu Deschenaux, Vice President Finance at Alimentation Couchetard. Je vais maintenant céder la parole à Mr. Mathieu Deschenaux, Vice President Finance pour Alimentation Couchetard. Merci beaucoup et bonjour tout le monde. Euh, J'aimerais d'abord vous souhaiter la bienvenue à la téléconférence qui porte sur la diffusion des résultats financiers du premier trimestre de l'exercice 2022 d'alimentation Cochetard. Toutes les lignes seront placées en mode discrétion afin d'éviter tout bruit inutile. À la suite de la présentation, nous répondrons aux questions qui nous ont été soumises à l'avance par les analystes. Nous souhaitons vous rappeler que cette web émission sera disponible sur notre site web pour une période de 90 jours. De plus, prenez note que certains des sujets discutés au cours de cette web émission pourraient consister en des déclarations prospectives qui sont fournies par la société avec les avertissements habituels. Ces avertissements ou risques ainsi que ces incertitudes sont décrits dans nos rapports financiers. Il est donc possible que nos résultats futurs puissent différer des informations présentées aujourd'hui. Les résultats financiers seront présentés par M. Brian Hanisch, président et chef de la direction, et Monsieur Claude Tessier, Chef de la Direction Financière. Good morning, everyone. I would like to welcome everyone to this web conference presenting Alimentation Cochetard's financial results for its first quarter of fiscal year 2022. All lines will be kept on mute to prevent any background noise. After the presentation, we will answer questions that were forwarded to us beforehand by Alan. We would like to remind everyone that this webcast presentation will be available on our website for a 90-day period. Also, please remember that some of the issues discussed during this webcast might be forward-looking statements, which are provided by the corporation with its usual caveats. These caveats or, or risks and uncertainties are outlined in our financial reporting. Therefore, our future results could differ from the information discussed today. Our financial results will be presented by Mr. Brian Hanisch, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Mr. Claude Tessy, Chief Financial Officer. Brian, you may begin your conference. Thank you, Matthew, and good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us for our presentation of our first quarter 2022 results. Overall, across our global network, we had a solid first quarter, both in convenience and in fuel, even when we compared to a very strong quarter last year. Same for sales were especially good in Europe, and across all regions, we've seen positive growth in food as the ease and the quality of our offers are resonating with our customers. While remaining impacted by COVID-19 traffic patterns, fuel volumes are improving, and we continue to achieve healthy margins, as well as expand our Circle K fuel rebranding efforts. No doubt, as the pandemic continues to present operational and supply chain challenges, I remain incredibly proud and grateful for the care and commitment to the business shown by our team members, our customers, and our business partners. I'm also pleased to report we made noticeable strides in the growth of our network this quarter. On the acquisition front, 
we entered into a definitive agreement to purchase Wilson Gas Stops and Go, a network of 226 corporate-owned and dealer locations and a fuel terminal, allowing us to expand our presence in Atlantic Canada. This transaction is expected to close in the first half of 2022 calendar. And we're excited to welcome many of these strong sites and dedicated team members to the Kustar family. We also announced a binding agreement to acquire 35 sites currently operated under the Porter's brand, predominantly in Oregon and Washington. These fuel and convenience assets are high quality locations and have a track record of growth and a network of experienced employees. On the network optimization front, we completed the divestment of older locations, primarily in the US, Midwest and the South. And we've added 30 new build stores to our portfolio, which better support our organic platforms and brand promise. Growing the size and scale of the network is essential to our, to our strategic ambition. As, in, as always, we remain disciplined in our approach to create value for our shareholders. Before moving to the results of the quarter, I want to take a moment to address the recent rise in COVID cases, especially the Delta variant. During much of the quarter, I was optimistic that we were seeing the waning days of the pandemic. Yet now, we're once again carefully watching the spread of the virus and again reinforcing health and safety measures in our stores as well as promoting vaccinations to protect our team members and our customers. This renewed situation, as I mentioned, continues to impact our supply chain as, as, do, as it is doing so across the retail landscape. It has also put a greater pressure on the labor situation, particularly in the United States, which is the most difficult labor market I've ever seen in my career. In the face of this, we're working hard to maintain staffing levels, including a heavy focus on online hiring and we've put centralized recruiting and hiring resources in place in each of our U.S. business units. In early May, we advertised for 20,000 open positions, and during that period, hired nearly 19,700 by the end of the quarter. We've also put into place retention bonuses and focused on better training and onboarding, making sure that those who want to come in the door understand the job and are able to do it. No silver bullets, but it's a constant battle as we work to get through this labor situation. I also want to say a few words about Hurricane Ida, a catastrophic category form that battered Louisiana and our Gulf Coast states the last few days. Most of our stores have reopened. At last count, we had approximately 50 still closed, generally for lack of power. I'm thankful that most of our stores could reopen quickly to support the communities in need. And currently, we're confirming the safety of all of our team members and assessing damage to those locations that we've not been able to reopen. Given the magnitude of the storm, it could have been much worse for so many and our thoughts and prayers go out to all those impacted. Now let's turn to our results, beginning with convenience. As we cycled against a quarter fully impacted by COVID-19, results varied by region as the pandemic and restrictive measures were at different levels year over year. Compared to the same quarter last year, same-store merchandise revenues decreased 0.2% in the U.S. and 9.6% in Canada, while increasing 5.9% in Europe and other regions. Convenience performed well on a two-year basis with same-store merchandise revenues increasing in a compound annual growth rate of 3.7% in the United States, 4.9% in Europe, and 4.2% in Canada. And the category most impacted, categories most impacted by COVID, such as food, continue to show positive trends. I should also note that we believe, based on our analysis, that our U.S. same-store growth would have been up slightly more, excluding the impact of the colonial pipeline disruption, which affected a large number of our sites in the Southeast US early in the quarter. Globally, we maintained our focus on expanding our Fresh Food Fast program, adding nearly 500 stores in the US and Canada, Denmark, Sweden, and Lithuania, bringing the total to about 2,000. 
As we expanded the offer, we continue to gain valuable insights and believe we're building the right production platform, one that's taking into account a very tight labor market and supply chain challenges. We're preparing additional new initiatives that simplify operation and execution, reduce labor, and allow us to create the full, full food culture for our team members and our customers. In our dispensed beverage category, we launched a new sip and save beverage subscription offer that's now active across the entire United States network. Here we have an innovative offer and a great value proposition for our customers. Sip and Save is receiving very positive feedback and we're in the process of enhancing the program to make it easier to enroll and participate while working to drive broader awareness of the program. Overall growth in packaged beverage remains positive, even when cycling against a strong comparable quarter last year with the closures of the bars and restaurants. Energy and sports drinks remain the bright spots while bulk purchasing and larger packages continue to be key drivers of growth. The supply chain issues noted earlier have been a clear pressure point in this category as manufacturers are challenged to keep up with the heightened demand and drivers are in short supply to get the items to our stores on a DSD basis. In the age-restricted category, cigarette sales were down slightly while margins slightly improved with our U.S. business showing the largest increase. Other tobacco products continued to show growth, particularly in Europe. To enhance the in-store customer journey, we completed over 1,120 Q-Line installs. Q-Lines continue to bring sales growth in several key impulse categories and are a clear basket builder and create more visibility for our private, private label brands. In our data analytics work, five additional business units went live during the quarter with our localized pricing efforts, which add to the 11 business units that were previously live. We're looking at finalizing this rollout toward the end of the year and additionally through the quarter, expanding the categories and SKUs in scope in each of these businesses. We're also in the early stages of our work to better optimize our promotional activity and our assortment, utilizing similar analytical approaches and machine learning models. Initial results indicate a positive value case in these areas. We see this as a big opportunity, making us even better and more localized retailer. Moving to our fuel business, same storm road transportation fuel volumes increased 11.8% in the United States, 6.3% in Europe, and 10.4% in Canada due to higher fuel demand compared with the comparable quarter when lockdowns were in place across much of the network. On the two-year comparison, same store road transportation fuel volumes decreased at a compound annual rate of 6.1% in the U.S., 3.3% in Europe, and 9.4% in Canada. Fuel volumes continue to be challenged by work-from-home trends and changes in local restrictions. As I mentioned earlier, fuel margins have remained healthy across the network, compensating for the loss in volume. In our Circle K fuel rebranding work over the quarter, we completed 79 additional rebrands, bringing our total site count with Circle K fuel to nearly 2,900 stores in North America. Results continue to be encouraging, and we'll complete an additional 680 sites in the U.S. and Canada by the end of the fiscal year. We're also formally launching our Circle K premium claim, double the cleaning detergent, and supporting it with various campaign initiatives. Early pilots have shown that this message resonates with our premium customers. In Europe, in our B2B work, we've had strong start this quarter with trading, trading with volumes in card and bulk segments, both trending ahead of prior year. Work continues to upgrade our core B2B card transaction platform as we launch new solutions in several key markets, which substantially increase our customer value proposition and digitize the experience for our customers. 
We made good progress also in our electric vehicle work this quarter, adding 44 new fast chargers in Europe, bringing the total to 876 charge points, primarily in Scandinavia. We also continue to develop and expand the EV offer, completing our first destination charging installation with our Norwegian hotel chain. Circle K owns and operates a charging service at this hotel and will further expand this chain with this chain going forward. We're now in the process of summarizing the learnings from our Norway EV lab to facilitate further expansion, including building the foundation for our journey in North America. Our efforts within e-mobility continue to play an important part of our sustainability journey. As part of that sustainability work, this quarter we were the first in the industry to issue green bonds to finance our efforts and further our commitments to their success. You can find out more in our third course, our third sustainability report published this quarter and available on our website. Here you also see that we more clearly defined our ESG framework with three clear pillars, people, planet, and prosperity, and proudly added diversity and inclusion to our sustainability efforts with the ambition of creating equitable pay and representation in our workplace. Turning to innovation, after a successful launch across Sweden, our pay-by-plate frictionless license plate payment recognition system, we're now starting to deploy that platform in Denmark, Estonia, and Norway. In the U.S., we've also added 400 self-checkouts in three of our business units this quarter. As we gather the learnings from these areas, we are preparing to introduce more easy checkout solutions across the network globally. Finally, I want to touch on developments and delivery this quarter. In Canada, we expanded our deployment with DoorDash from nearly 30 stores to over 400 across three business units. Customers in those areas can now order ahead and have their goods delivered to their home or office via the DoorDash app. Overall, we continue to explore the most optimal delivery solutions for both the business and for making our customers' lives a bit easier. So I'm going to pause there and let Claude take you through more of the detailed quarter results. Claude? Thank you, Brian. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. For the first quarter of fiscal 2022, we're happy to report net earnings of $764.4 million, or 71 cents per share on a diluted basis. Excluding certain items for both comparable periods, adjusted net earnings were approximately $758 million compared with $795 million for the first quarter of fiscal 2021. Adjusted diluted net earnings per share were 71 cents, unchanged compared to the corresponding quarter of fiscal 2021. I will now go over some key figures for the quarter. For more details, please refer to our MDNA available on our website. During this most recent quarter, excluding the net impact from foreign currency translation, merchandise and service revenues for the first quarter of fiscal 22 increased by approximately $92 million or 2.4%. This increase is primarily attributable to the contribution from acquisitions, which amounted to approximately $151.54 million, sorry, partly offset by a decline in same-store merchandise revenues in North America as they compare against a very strong quarter last year. On a two-year basis, same-store merchandise revenues increased at a solid compound annual rate of 3.7% in the United States, 4.9% in Europe, and 4.2% in Canada. For the first quarter of uh, fiscal 2022, excluding the net impact from foreign currency translation, merchandise and service gross profit increased by approximately $39 million, or 2.9%, mainly attributable to the contribution from acquisitions, 
which amounted to approximately $45 million. Our gross margin decreased by 0.1% in the United States to 34.2%, but excluding the accelerated uh, recognition of deferred credit in the prior quarter, uh, our gross margin in the United States would have increased by 0.8%, favorably impacted by change in product mix and pricing initiatives. Our gross margin decreased by 2.2% in Europe and other regions to 38.4%, mainly due to the integration of Circle K Hong Kong, which has a different product mix from our European operations. Excluding Circle K Hong Kong, our gross margins in Europe and other regions would have been 41.8%, an improvement from 40.6% during the fiscal first fiscal quarter last year, impacted by favorable change in product mix. In Canada, our gross margin increased by 1.2% to 32.3%, also impacted by favorable changes in product mix. We now move on to the fuel side of our business. In the first quarter of fiscal 2022, our road transportation fuel gross margin was 36.75 cents per gallon in the United States, a decrease of 4.55 cents per gallon, and US 10.32 cents per liter in Europe, a decrease of 19 cents per liter, 0.19 cents per liter, sorry, mainly driven by the unusual higher margins in the comparative quarter. In Canada, it was at 10.92 Canadian cents per liter, an increase of 0.67 Canadian cents per liter. Fuel margins remain healthy, driven by favorable market conditions, uh, procurement initiative, and fuel rebranding. For the first quarter of fiscal 2022, normalized operating expenses increased by 3.5%, driven by an increased level of marketing activities and other discretionary expenses which were significantly reduced in the prior year quarter due to the beginning of the pandemic, as well as by normal inflation, higher labor costs from minimum wage increase, and pressure from low employment rates in certain regions and incremental investments in our stores to support our strategic initiatives. This increase was partly offset by lower COVID-19-related expenses compared to the corresponding quarter of the previous fiscal year. On a two-year basis, we maintain our strong cost discipline as demonstrated by a compounded annual rate uh, growth rate of only 1.2% in normalized expenses. Excluding specific items uh, described in more detail in our MDNA, the adjusted EBITDA for the first quarter of fiscal 2022 decreased by $1.1 million or 0.1% compared with the corresponding quarter of the previous fiscal year, mainly due to the lower road transportation fuel gross margins in uh, I'm sorry, Monsieur KC, we're having difficulty hearing you at this time. With the, is this better? It seems to be. Please proceed. So, so uh, just to uh, to finish the, the phrase, so it was uh, uh, due to the uh, net positive impact from translation of our Canadian and European operations into U.S. dollars, which amounted to approximately $41 million. The income tax rate for the first quarter of fiscal 2022 was 21.3% compared with 20.7% for the corresponding quarter of fiscal 2021. 
The increase in the income tax rate is mainly driven by a lesser use of unrecognized capital losses compared with the corresponding quarter of fiscal 2021. As of July 18, 2021, our return on equity remains strong at 22.9%, and our return on capital employed stood at at 15.8%. During the quarter, we continue to generate strong free cash flows, and our leverage ratio stood at 1.23 times. During the the quarter, we successfully issued U.S. dollar-dominated seniors unsecured notes, totaling $1 billion dollars at favorable terms that included a $315 million green bond tranche. The net proceed of the green bonds will be used to finance or refinance new or existing environmental-friendly projects and community initiatives, which further our commitments for a more sustainable and responsible future. During the same period, we also fully repaid the $1 billion U.S. dollar-denominated senior unsecured notes that were set to mature in July 26, 2022. As of July 18, 2021, we have able, we had ample balance sheet of flexibility with $3.4 billion in cash and an additional $2.5 billion available through our revolving credit facility. In addition, during the quarter, we repurchased close to $300 million of our shares through uh, our new program and continuing to provide value to our shareholders. Finally, on August 31st, 2021, the Board of Directors declared a, declared a quarterly dividend of 8.75 Canadian cents per share and approved its payment effective September 23rd, 2021. To close, I would like to highlight the work of our teams and, and what they've accomplished throughout the past quarter, ensuring that we remain in a strong financial position and ready to accelerate capital deployment towards our strategic initiatives, while always remaining focused on driving value creation for our employees, customers, and shareholders, despite still operating in a challenging environment impacted by COVID. With that, I thank you all for your attention and turn the call back over to you, Brian. Thank you, Claude. Uh, As I said at the beginning of my remarks, earlier this summer, I've been optimistic that the pandemic would be in a rearview mirror. However, recent developments, especially with the Delta variant, show this is not the case. We're diligently diligently monitoring the situation. We're updating our guidelines and procedures and putting the health and safety of our team members and our customers at the forefront of our decision-making. Despite the ongoing challenges, I am proud that we continue to meet our strategic goals to grow the network both organically and through M&A. Once again, our thoughts and prayers go out to those employees and communities in the path of Hurricane Ida. I want to thank all of our team members, our customers, and our partners for their continued commitment and support as we move forward on our journey. With that, now we'll answer the questions we received from our analysts. Great. Thank you, Brian. So our first uh, two questions come from uh, Bonnie Herzog at Goldman Sachs. First question. How has the Delta variant surge impacted your business in terms of customer traffic, fuel volumes, and fuel margins? And could you share some quarter-to-date trends? Have you had to adjust for hours or labor scheduling as a result? How disruptive has the Delta variant been for recovery in your more rural versus urban markets, given wider vaccination gaps there? And Bonnie, with regard to the Delta, you know, we're, we're monitoring the situation 
you know, and we've updated guidelines, you know, we're mandating vaccines for people in our offices, et cetera, you know, trying to make sure that we're keeping both our team members and our customers safe. We've been actively supporting vaccinations and our vaccination rates are generally above the general population in the majority of our markets. And we continue to push it on education in that, in that side. You know, our stores continue to be open, um, but the Delta has magnified an already difficult staffing environment. This has been particularly acute in the Southern US, you know, think Texas, Florida, the Carolinas. And really for the first time, our, you know, we've really seen supply chain challenges across those markets most affected by COVID. You know, that's just compounding the labor shortage. So our, particularly our DSD vendors, you know, getting deliveries, uh, you know, on time or at all in some cases has been a challenge. So you know, our out-of-stocks have been, you know, higher than certainly we'd like to see them. And I'd, I'd say that, you know, the Delta surge is clearly also gonna delay many employers return to work plans. You know, we've seen a lot delaying, you know, into January. So that morning day part, which continues to be the weakest part of a recovery trend, is likely to be pushed into the fall. Thank you. So the second question, can you give us an update on cost inflation pressures you're seeing and the impact on consumer demand, especially as government stimulus funds dry up in the U.S.? Are you still able to effectively pass on material cost increases to consumers without significant impact on demand at your stores? Yeah, we've seen cost increases across, you know, literally every single category, and quite honestly, I expect more to come. You know, to date, we've been able to pass along those costs into our retails while maintaining unit, margin, unit volume and margin dollars. Uh, we strive to continue to provide customers value through smart multi-pack uh, pricing, offering larger pack sizes and working with our vendors to provide exclusive, uh, innovative product values with the use of our scale. You know, based on supplier information, you know, it looks like we continue to perform well versus our peers. And as you can see in the quarter, our margins have remained very solid. We are also seeing pressure on the cost side, particularly with wages and costs uh, increasing on the construction side for new sites and remodels. Uh, prior to these pressures, we had activated a large number of cost-saving initiatives across our value chain, and uh, we believe uh, we can mitigate a big part of these pressures in the coming quarters. Our next uh, two questions come from Irene Nassel at RBC Capital Markets. Can you share any reaction or commentary with respect to the disclosure that the Federal, Federal Trade Commission intends to take a closer look at fuel margins and trends, and particularly at transaction and implications on fuel profitability? Yeah, Irene, I'd say we operate in one of the most fragmented and competitive industries in the world. It's the only industry I can think of that we put our prices on big signs at the street. You know, the price increases referenced in these articles or releases can almost be entirely explained by increases in underlying product costs. And margins that I, we see in the U.S. are in line or lower than what we see in other markets around the world. So, you know, I think that's just part of normal up and down of, of, of prices um, driven by product costs. You know, in regard to M&A, you know, I think there was a recent transaction that got the uh, attention of the government. Um, despite our size in the U.S., you know, we still have single-digit market share, and we believe we have a lot of room to grow in the U.S. So we'll strive to be collaborative with the FTC and any other parties in any transactions that we do in the future. Same-source sales looked uh, quite good, as you noted in your remarks. 
Can you give us more color around category and regional performance, particularly where uh, where reopening is further along? And related to that, how you see normalization of day park traffic and demand, particularly in food? Irene, you know, we had seen positive growth in food service categories, including uh, you know dispensed beverages. You know, a lot of those uh, programs were, were closed or really impaired during COVID last year. Um, so good recovery, but still below pre-COVID levels. You know, overall growth in packaged beverages uh, has remained positive, even when cycling against the strong comps last year, and despite some of the uh, challenges we have in the supply chain. You know, within that, energy and sport drinks uh, remain the brightest spots. And large package purchasing uh, has also continued to be a key driver of growth despite uh, you know, more openings in other channels. Uh, traffic patterns are improving. However, we remain cautious that with the Delta variant of COVID now impacting many of our markets in the U.S., um, Canada and Europe are not as experiencing the same pressure so far. The next two questions come from Michael Van Elf at TD Securities. Can you elaborate on which categories are providing you with the favorable uh, mix improvement in all three divisions? Is this mostly a return to pre-COVID product mix, such as higher pre uh, fresh food, lower tobacco, and smaller uh, package sizes? And you also mentioned pricing initiatives as a margin driver in the U.S. How many of business units in the U.S. and globally now have localized pricing and promotion capability deployed? Yeah, Michael, you know, as, as I said, packaged beverage, uh, the cooler overall, even alcohol, continues to be strong, you know, despite bars and restaurants being closed last year. Um, with regard to, to localized or data-driven pricing, uh, in the first quarter, we did add five additional BUs. So now we, on top of the 11 that were live, so we have a total of 16. Uh, but there's two metrics. So one is how many BUs, but then also, you know, what's the percentage of the SKUs inside of each of those that are on the program? Um, and that continues to grow. Uh, so we're probably at about 50% of the SKUs in scope being activated. Uh, there'll be a big push this quarter as we add tobacco uh, in North America, which will add significantly to the percentage of our sales covered by localized pricing. And also during the quarter, we launched a series of pilots across uh, the US, Canada, and Europe, uh, looking at you know, optimizing both promotions and assortment using data and analytics. And, uh, Early results from the pilots are very encouraging, as I mentioned in my, in my uh, remarks earlier. So turning to you, uh, Claude, can you give an estimate, maybe in percentage terms, as to how much lower marketing and other discretionary expenses were in the quarter compared to pre-COVID levels? And when do you see them returning in full? Also, are you seeing any improvement in labor availability yet, or can you at least see it improving as stimulus rolls off in the coming months. So Michael, the increase in expenses was driven by an increased level uh, in marketing activities and other discretionary expenses. And as far as the discretionary expenses that were affected by the decrease, uh, they were mostly uh, maintenance, supplies, and marketing. Uh, so expenses that we, we could uh, uh, contract uh, when we were in the in the midst of uh, the COVID uh, outbreak in 2021. 
So we have seen these categories of expense uh, uh, decrease close to 10% uh, of, in terms of spending quarter over quarter in fiscal 20 uh, versus fiscal 2021. So most of these expenses have uh, come back to pre-COVID levels. However, we are still uh, in a fluid environment uh, with the variants and, and remain cautious in managing our stores. As far as the labor, uh, as labor is concerned, Brian mentioned earlier in his comments that it was has been a difficult uh, labor market. In early May, we advertised for 20,000 open positions and hired nearly 19,700 by the end of the quarter. And we're speaking now; we're uh, we're almost at 21,000 uh, failed positions. So. However, it remains a, a difficult market, and we, we still have stores that are affected by the labor disruption, and uh, we can also see the effect of this labor shortage in, in many areas of our supply chain in North America, like I already mentioned. And we're trying to, to mitigate those, those, uh, those impacts in our network. Good, thank you. Uh, next two questions come from uh, Martin Landry at Stifel. Your results in Canada were impacted by significant lockdown measures, which abated before quarter end. Can you discuss the evolution of the trends during the quarter in Canada as the lockdown measures abated, especially in terms of same-store fuel volume and merchandise same-store sales? Yeah, for Canada, same-store merchandise declined 9.6% and volume increased 10.4% during the quarter. On the merchandise side, last quarter, we had strong growth in tobacco and alcohol as other channels were closed. You know, these categories were lower as others reopened this quarter. If you look at a two-year basis, same-store merchandise increased 4.2% and volume declined 9.4. But we did clearly see, Martin, uh, an improvement as the quarter progressed, uh, significantly better at the end of the quarter than, than at the beginning on both fuel and on merchandise. In Europe, the Delta variant seems to have impacted the region earlier than in North America. As such, could you discuss what you have seen post-quarter and in terms of traffic trends into your European stores? Yeah, I'd say just at a macro level, despite Delta you know, hitting there earlier, the vaccination rates are you know, generally high in most of our markets in Europe. If you look at Scandinavia and Ireland, you know, significantly higher than what we see in the U.S. or in North America in general, uh, a bit lower in the Eastern uh, Eastern Europe markets that we have. So we're going to continue to monitor the impact of Delta. We've been fortunate to not have experienced as much disruption in Europe. Um, we're pleased with the same store sales performance in Europe. You know, we've had an increase of 5.9% and 6.3% in fuel volume for the quarter on top of strong performance last year. We've also seen our gross margin in Europe, excluding Hong Kong, improve from 40.6% in the first quarter of last year to 41.8% this year, again, impacted by favorable change in mix primarily. The next two questions come from uh, Chris Lee at Desjardins Securities. In deriving your fiscal 2023 organic EBITDA target, do you assume fuel, fuel volume will fully recover to pre-COVID level, or do you expect fuel demand will remain structurally lower? So, Chris, uh, well, we're currently cautious because of the possible impact from the Delta variant uh, of COVID. We, we do believe volumes 
post-COVID should mostly recover to pre-COVID levels. So as we look, uh, and, and in reference to our 2023 EBITDA, so as we look at, at our targets, we expect that it will come from a combination of fuel margin and volume, uh, so driven by some of the fuel initiatives that we've uh, been uh, outlined, that have been outlined in our last investor day. So, uh, so that's that's where we stand as far as uh, our expected uh, fuel volumes and, and uh, our margins. Chris's uh, second question. Do you see any attractive M&A opportunities within the B2B fuel market? And is M&A part of the growth strategy in North America? You know, Chris, the B2B business is, is a hugely important part of our European business, and we've seen it hold up very well during COVID. Um, you know, in the U.S. or in, in North America in general, I'd call it an early stage uh, development yet. We've got some pockets of strength. Uh, you know, the key enabler for us to grow to B2B in North America is growing our Circle K fuel brand and having a consistent value proposition for those customers in our key markets. You know, if you think historically how we built the company, you know, we had a myriad of, of supplier brands and a lot of great brands, but uh, very difficult to provide a clear value proposition uh, with, with multiple brands out there. So as we continue that rebranding effort, you'll see us double down on our B2B efforts in North America. Um, in terms of M&A, you know, we're really not focused on M&A uh, as part of this growth journey in B2B. Uh, I wouldn't take it off the table, but uh, right now we're, again, focused on, you know, making sure we have a clear value proposition uh, for these B2B drivers. So the next question, question comes from Derek Lay at Canacal Generality. Given your healthy balance sheet, how do you think about capital allocation in the absence of any larger acquisition? Should we expect Kushtar to remain active with its share buyback? Well, as part of our overall uh, strategy, uh, you should expect that we will use our free cash flow for many opportunities and we will opportunistically repurchase our shares. Our policy uh, has not changed, uh, and we will look into opportunistic buybacks uh, as long as the uh, leverage ratio is below 2.25 times. So we remain committed to investment grade rating and like uh, to maintain a strong balance sheet to be prepared for future m and opportunity and also allocate capital to our organic growth initiatives like new store development, digital, uh, IT, and, and, and commercial programs. Thank you. The next next question comes from uh, Graham Kreindler at Ace Capital. The company has recently announced a number of token acquisitions like Wilson's and Porter's. Can you please discuss how these transactions fit within the company's larger M&A strategy? Can we expect additional transactions of this size moving forward? What does the current valuation landscape for larger targets look like? Yeah, Graham, we're going to continue to look for opportunities of various sizes that include quality stores and talent with the infrastructure of the bones, if you will, to enable us to deliver our key programs to our customers. With these two recently announced transactions, we're acquiring strong fuel and convenience assets in the Pacific Northwest and Atlantic Canada, and both great fits for us. As we experience a new normal, you know, we are seeing elevated deal flow in all three of our platforms, and I'm cautiously optimistic we'll get some deals done in the coming quarters. As I said, you know, our focus is on being disciplined in our approach. You know, we have a clear set of criteria for the assets we're looking for, 
and we'll continue to strive to do the right things for our shareholders. Um, in terms of valuations, you know, they have remained surprisingly elevated uh, given uh, a lot of businesses have been impaired. But, uh, you know, again, we're, we're optimistic with the level of deal flow that uh, we'll be able to participate. Moving to Mark Petrie's uh, questions at CIBC World Market. As you look at fuel volume trends across regions where behavior patterns have returned closer to normal, do you have a sense of the structural impact of shifts such as work from home on fuel volume? Yeah, Mark, you know, we're still not back to pre-COVID levels. Um, close in Europe, um, a little further away in North America, and, and that's, I think, purely focused on, you know, people staying at home and working from home, and then some local restrictions that still impair uh, driving. You know, I believe when we start the, started the summer, we thought we'd get a better answer to your question by now regarding whether this is structural or new normal, if you will. You know, however, with the Delta variant present, you know, I'd just say this, this situation is very fluid. And at this point, I'm, I'm hesitant to call anything structural. U.S. merchandise growth margin percentage held in well, lapping a strong result last year and was up materially excluding the accelerated recognition of deferred credit. Can you help bridge the performance and share some context on the impact of shift in sales mix, as well as the contribution of your various initiatives, most specifically dynamic pricing and promotion and fresh food fast? Yeah, Mark, yeah, we did see you know, strong performance during the quarter. I would say the primary driver was mixed. Um, I would say, uh, we have a new partnership with uh, RAI in the U.S. that's enabled us to uh, be more consistently price competitive with their products uh, while, you know, providing us with a better margin. So that certainly helped that category. And then localized pricing. Um, you know, I'd say we, we talked earlier, I'd, I'd call that uh, the third place uh, benefit here uh, this quarter. I think we're just starting to see the benefits of our localized pricing efforts uh, show up in margin. But, uh, again, very encouraged with the results so far. The next question comes from Patricia Baker at Kosha Bank. Can you talk about what you are anticipating for fuel volume recovery as we move through the back half of calendar 2021 and into 2022? There are certainly mixed experiences across markets with respect to returning to work mandates, and there is a broad return to school movement, both of which will impact rising. You know, Patricia, we did see some improvement in same-store volumes during the quarter. You know, if you look at a two-year basis, as I said earlier, uh, we're still down both single digits, uh, with Europe being the closest to pre-COVID, supported by a B2B business. Um, you know, the, the back to school certainly will help, uh, and we're cautiously optimistic that we'll continue to see a recovery in fuel volume over the next six to 12 months. However, you know, as we, we, we all know, you know, COVID makes this a very fluid situation. Our next question comes from Bobby Griffin at Raymond James. Since the start of the pandemic, push starts fuel, uh, U.S. fuel margin of performance versus the U.S. industry average has notably increased compared to pre-pandemic. Do you believe the outperformance is sustainable given some of the fuel-related initiatives the company is working on? Yeah, Bobby, you know, we continue to be pleased with our overall growth in fuel gross profit. In regard to the fuel margin itself, our focus is on leveraging our scale 
and our initiatives to outperform the industry. You know, we do believe some of the initiatives we've outlined, including our move to our Circle K brand, uh, driving more value from our supply chain, utilizing data and analytics for, for sharper pricing, have and will can, you know, create sustainable benefits to our fuel margin versus most of our competitors. Our last two questions for today come from Karen Short at Barclays Capital. Please provide your latest thoughts on labor costs in the U.S. going forward. What does the labor picture look like in states that no longer had the federal unemployment benefits versus states that continue to have it? How should we think about potential uh, pressures on OPEX for the remainder of the year and p potential offsets? Karen, again, as, as Brian mentioned, it has been a very difficult labor market. So, however, uh, we are working hard to maintain staffing levels, uh, including a heavy focus on online hiring and online visibility. And I've put the centralized recruiting and hiring resources in place in each of our U.S. business units. I would mention earlier, and that helped us uh, to achieve what we mentioned earlier. So uh, up to now, we, we've been able to hire 21,000 uh, positions uh, in the U.S. We also do have to react to competitive pressures uh, uh, for labor uh, to maintain employment level in our stores, and uh, we are using variable measures uh, to um, compensate and ensure adequate employment and are, are monitoring closely the situation to remain a preferred employer. As far as total OPEX, uh, while we uh, did see a 3.5% increase in our normalized operating expenses for the quarter, the CAGR was 1.2% on a two-year basis, maintaining our, our strong cost discipline. So, however, we continue to see some cost pressure from the inflation, high labor costs, and the incremental investment in our stores, uh, and, and we do expect to offset uh, some of these expenses uh, with our cost optimization efforts that I, I've outlined in the past, such as business process optimization and our operational ex excellence program, uh, where we are reducing repair costs, maintenance costs, construction costs, and also credit card fees. But most importantly, we are putting a special focus on all the cost activities that are allowing us to help relieve the pressure on labor at store level. So activities such as labor scheduling, elimination of back office, and others. So that's where our, our big focus is to, to make sure that we're providing uh, proper help to our stores in, the, in this difficult environment. Thank you, Claude. And uh, our last question. We have seen several e-commerce immediacy retailers, such as, such as GoPop, Gorillas, Dashmart, Dashmart Echera, pop-up in urban markets, markets with delivery times below 30 minutes of C-store types products. How well insulated do you think your urban stores are from sh uh, share gains by these retailers? And how are you thinking about uh, ongoing development of your own delivery capabilities in light of what appears to be more competition in these dense markets? Yeah, I'd say, you know, we, relative, we have relatively small urban presence. Um, that said, yeah, we sell time to people, and as other people find ways to become convenient uh, to customers, whether it's our SKUs or more broadly, you know, we're committed to understanding it. You know, in terms of what we're doing today, you know, we continue to look at the overall e-commerce landscape um, and expand and understand home delivery in our network, as we talked about earlier. 
At the same time, we are watching the emergence of quick commerce in the urban markets in Europe and the U.S., like the grill, as you mentioned. Um, there's a lot of VC money in the space fueling these expansions. Uh, we're closely watching the ability to be profitable, and uh, you know, we'll uh, continue to study it and stay close. In terms of outside of urban, you know, it seems clear on the surface these same delivery windows, which you know, can be 10 minutes or less, are not economic in less dense markets. But again, this is early. And uh, we're committed to watching and, and watching it closely. And you know, our mission is to provide our customers uh, what they want, when they want it, where they want it, and uh, we'll to participate as we see fit. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Claude. Uh, that covers all of the questions for today's call. Uh, a reminder for our audience that the replay of the call will be available on our website under events and presentations in the investor section. With that said, we thank you all for joining us today. We wish you a great day and hope you'll join us for our annual general meeting in just a few hours from now. Thank you, everyone. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Have a good day. Thank you. Merci. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Ceci met fin à la conférence aujourd'hui. Vous êtes maintenant invité à mettre fin à cet appel. Bonne journée. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.